Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 9, Skylar Sullivan, The Choice of No Bounds, Act 1, recorded June 2nd, 2017 at Pacific Beach, San Diego, California. One size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hello, TA listeners. Congratulations. We've done it. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body has completed its inaugural season. We want to thank you so much for listening. This was a little kernel of an idea several years ago. And now, thanks to you, this podcast is moving into its second season. <gasps> You can expect even more exciting interviews uh, and we're branching out outside of the New York City arts education community and going national. Our first couple of uh, interviews are actually in the West Coast and we're hoping to go even further beyond and start talking to people beyond my own friends, I promise, but my friends are pretty interesting. But we are going to really find ways to uh, continue to explore different uh, arts education policies, ideas, questions, and really thinking about how can we continue to support teaching artists and their professional careers. And to that end, we are, this podcast is seeking to partner with institutions that have missions to support the professional field of teaching artists. If you are involved in such an organization that might be interested in exploring a media partnership and diversifying their, um, your media partnerships or or media uh, platforms, please PM us at the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body Facebook page and we will get back to you as soon as possible. In looking ahead to season two, there will be um, more theater people, but we're also looking to branch out beyond just arts educators who are doing things that are celebrating and or uh, doing professional development for uh, the arts education community. And 
having more conference conversations and events. So to that end, I want to let you know about an event that is coming up on September 14th. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body will hold its first panel discussion. And this will be a part of an event co-sponsored by the New York City Arts and Education Roundtable. The panelists are TA with CJB, new nickname, yeah, uh, the first season one guests. That means Lauren, Jost, Penelope, McCordy, James, Miles, and Shoba Kamenakudil. They are all going to be in New York City. And we are going to sit down and do a little where are they now catch up and really thinking about uh, uh, talking about topics that are important to you and what uh, recommendations they might have for the podcast to be able to focus on uh, in helping build community amongst its listeners. So we highly recommend joining this uh, event live if you can for the discussion if you're in New York City and announcements and the event uh, registration will go out later this summer but if you're not in New York City that's okay that is okay you know why because that episode that conversation will be become an episode and we will record it and we will uh, then publish it for you shortly after the event this fall so again, I thank you and I'm ready to move on to tell you about, uh, this interview with Skylar Sullivan. So Skylar, as my guest, uh, for this podcast, he, well, I've known him for for a very long time, at least 10 years. And he, um, uh, he currently lives in San Diego. So I went on vacation and stayed in his bungalow. He was kind enough to host me and so uh, and take me up on t- being a guest on this podcast. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego, but it is a beautiful out there. And I'm not necessarily, I'm definitely an East Coast girl, but I'm also a water baby. And of all the places that I've been in California, I feel like San Diego is much more my speed. Um, It's a place that I can really get behind, you know? And so we went to Pacific Beach and set up a a makeshift (laughs) recording booth. Not so much, but uh, we recorded on the beach. So you'll hear waves, you'll hear wind, you'll hear beach happenings, definitely beach happenings. As Skylar and I talk about his uh, childhood, uh, his career, and beyond. So Skylar is one of the funniest people I know, and he brings out the ridiculous in me, which I absolutely love. And like me, he was sort of a lost kid in certain ways. And as he grew up, you know, from high school into college and beyond, I think he, he again, like me, have found ways, and, and maybe more specifically through the arts, found ways to push himself beyond his limits to, 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 as he says, make a choice to take that extra step. And I am really inspired by that and love that and love him. So have fun listening to me sniffle and all the beach shenanigans as we learn about Skylar's beginnings and career path in this act. So here is the first episode of season two 
Skylar Sullivan, episode nine, act one, the choice of no bounds. This is Teaching Our Issue with Courtney J. Body, and I have my most exciting guest. Well, they're all really exciting, actually, but (laughs) (laughs) we're going to start that again. (laughs) No, no, you're doing great. Oh, thank you. Keep it rolling. Skylar Sullivan in San Diego. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I am doing fine, thanks. Welcome. Welcome. I was going to welcome you to San Diego. You were going to welcome me, and I was going to welcome you. It's my new hometown. to, To teaching artistry. Thanks. This is a little project of mine that you have been sitting on the interview list for for a while okay um have you heard of this podcast before uh i've just heard about it recently oh, and really? i'm excited to explore it a little excellent. bit excellent well welcome to it and this is just going to be a, a conversation i'm going to ask you some questions about you and your life in relation to the arts um, and about the work that you do currently and have done uh in your career uh, do you want to just, before we get started, talk about where we are? Sure. We are basking in the beautiful sun of San Diego here at Pacific Beach. Uh, the waves are rolling. Mm-hmm. The surfers are out. Yeah. It's a beautiful day, and uh, it's a pleasure to, to share it with you. Thank you. Um, you've been a gracious host for me. I've been here for a week, almost. And uh, you're actually my first interview real interview outside of New York State. So okay. we're going national now. <laughs> a national program. <laughs> it's a national program. Um, and I'm I'm very excited to have you on. Um, as I said, you were on uh, the original sort of list. There's a, it's a pretty long list, but um, you're up there. So I love the fact that I was able to take advantage of my trip to have this conversation with you. Well, it's my pleasure. Okay, so now, now that we've got the pleasantries out of the way, <laughs> I'm going to ask you my first question. Um, I, I would love to know uh, about where you grew up um, and how the arts were present in your childhood. Sure. I grew up just outside of Hartford, Connecticut in a small town called Tolland. And the arts, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of arts programming in my schools, but I got them kind of scrapping around mm. and one of the the big ones for me with theater was my mom went to the University of Connecticut so she was aware of the theater and the puppets and everything going on at, the, at UConn mm. and so she got us a family subscription to their shows at a pretty early age wow. so I was seeing seeing shows on a kind of a regular basis as a kid uh, and I didn't really have an opportunity to, to do that myself until I got it around fifth grade when I started singing in the regular choir at school. And I did that because my older sister did that, and I thought that would be really cool. Uh, my sister was also a dancer, but I wasn't really asked or didn't make work my way into the studio the way she did, and I would have loved that. Because I ended up being a mover and a, and a dancer later, but yeah. if I had started younger, it would have, I, you know, I could have been somebody. I <laughs> could have been a contender. <laughs> um, so you know, there was th- there was theater and there was music, uh, and I st- and I studied music in the school system. I played the saxophone when I was a kid, oh. and learned how to read music. And then my sister played piano, so I kind of tried to. I didn't get the lessons, but I would sit down and I would try to figure it out. And mm-hmm. you know, so there was. There and did you ask for lessons, or was it just some like you were other focused, or what do you, what do you think happened there? You know, I don't really remember. I just remember my sister kind of doing everything and me just sort of picking up what Tagging I could. Along. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember yeah. a question of like, 
now your sister's taking lessons. Would you like to do some of that? Like, I don't remember any of that. It just, I might've studied piano for like a hot second, but it, I, I didn't last. I, I, I don't sit still well. I don't know if you've I, ever figured I've, that I've out about I've noticed me. this about you. I actually have. <laughs> so I was a mover. I, I you know, I, I, I kind of tried stuff and then, you know, moved on. And, and, and But it was in there. Looking back, it was the music was my my real first way where I started practicing as an artist. Right, was music saxophone. I didn't know that you played saxophone. Yeah, I played saxophone for a couple of years until I sold my saxophone to go on a trip. What? Yeah. <laughs> what was the trip? Disney World. What? I wanted to go to Disney World. Well, Disney World. So I sold is... my saxophone. Wow. And that dream died. And you never thought to pick it up again or I, get another? I've thought about it since I yeah. sold it, yeah. Since you sold it, when, I, how old are you? I think about it a lot. It? I was in high school when I finally sold it. Wow. I had not I had stopped playing since though. Wow. I was more about singing and piano at that point. And when you're when you're singing, like, is there, is there, as a kid, I mean, was there, uh, you know, something that you connected to with singing that you could describe? I just remember it was the first time I really felt like I was a part of something because I didn't get a chance to do the sports. I wasn't on Little League. I didn't do the soccer like a lot of kids do. Uh, and it was the first time I felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And, and it was, you know, you all singing at the same time. Yeah. You know, baseball is cool. You, like, you feel the team thing. but And I've never played on a baseball team, so maybe I'm speaking out of turn. But, like, it's always, like, one person's hitting or one person's doing, like, but... And it's collaborative, but... Yeah. The arts are, are, I don't know, are, are superior in that way that you're all, you can all do it at the same time, or I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed that about it. I like the, I like breaking how the you have to break the song down to build it back up mm-hmm. in in rehearsal. That's something that I always enjoyed. I was in chorus uh, freshman and sophomore year, I think, in in high school, um, but I wasn't a strong singer. Like I, I couldn't belt or you know sing loudly, yeah. just, but I had a nice sort of alto sound and then um at home i'd like belt and like <laughs> it was actually a contralto or a tenor hmm. singing voice but that never really got developed i didn't take lessons or anything like that but over the years i've just sort of developed this singing voice my father sang a lot so both of them do cool yeah yeah th- there was just something about expression it was like the first kind of really deep chance to sort of start letting something out mm. you know and i had a lot of stuff built up so like anything that was going to release some of that was going to be a good thing and what, and what kind of kid were you like uh, personality wise i was in trouble a lot <laughs> like what kind of trouble like... well like it comes back to my sister i guess i mean she was like a really smart really put together person from a very young age and there was a lot to live up to so i would get attention in other ways like stirring the pot and walking away or you know stealing things or sneaking out of the house or, or playing practical jokes on people and just doing making weapons doing things i wasn't supposed make, to make okay making i'm talking weapons. like backwoods weapons not like bombs oh, and stuff but like well, slingshots yeah. spears mm-hmm. you know like huckleberry finn you sound weapons. scrappy You're i was a little bit of a scrappy kid <laughs> yeah that's cute yeah so, i mean so the arts were really good. Like when I found the arts in high school, it really kind of saved me because I was hanging out with some questionable people, really? doing some questionable things in high school. And theater really saved me. Like when I found that crew and that tribe, it really allowed me to start to become who I was in a and 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 just I don't know, start to focus in a little differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so what was your first play? 
the first real play that I did was Pippin. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that was my first high school musical. I had done some like random review shows in like middle school and mm. elementary school, but like mm. the first real play I was in was Pippin. And I was in the ensemble. Uh -huh. Yeah. What grade was that? That was my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. Um, and what, so being a part of the ensemble, did that speak to you? Or was that the same sort of feeling as chorus? No, it was even more intense. I remember having this moment while I was performing. We only got two shows. So we did a Friday and Saturday night show. That was it. And, you know, there's no drama program. It was just literally like by way of the... And by that point, I was singing in the high school choir and singing in an a cappella magical choir. So Ooh. that was pretty cool, too. So the, this, the musical director was the director of the show. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, ba you know, based on the music program. But I had this moment while I was performing Pippin where it was like it was like the real artist moment. Like, I'd had a few before where I was like, the arts are cool. Mm -hmm. But this moment in Pippin I had, I'm not sure I could describe it. It was just sort of like this... Like the, the roof of the theater just blew off and I could see the matrix and see the stars. <laughs> and it, it was very clear to me at, at, in that moment that that is exactly what I had to do with my life. Wow. Yeah. And then it ended and I, you know, had to get through that. Right. And then it, then it just, then, then I, my, everything changed. Like my, my sort of high school studies got a little bit stronger because I realized I was going to want to do this. I had to study. And yeah. I don't know, somebody might have broken it down to me that was like, if you want to do this, like you can do that and feel that way a lot. But you gotta get your shit together a little bit, yeah. and you know, do some homework once yeah. in a while. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then, and then it changed. And then I was like, I engaged. Yeah, I, I, was... I, I hear you actually. I, um, I kind of felt the same way. I don't think I engaged in high school. It was actually sports that helped me a little bit. But freshman year, I was kind of lost and just wasn't. I wasn't feeling anything um, academically. I mean, anything that was sort of easy, fine. But like, ask me to to you know study or do well <laughs> I was kind of like floundering a little bit and then I went I forget what happened but I went sophomore year I went to my friend's field hockey game and they were looking for a manager and I was like oh this looks like fun and I like supporting my friend and I could I could manage sure so it just gave me like one little hook into like oh school could be fun and then I had auditioned for a play, put myself out there, did not get in at all, like not even the chorus or ensemble. What play was that? Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> nice. And I was just like devastated. It was like, forget it, I'm never gonna be a theater person. And then I sort of did my own thing, but the sport thing was, was helpful for me to sort of click in a little bit. And by the time I got into my, my, my junior year, which is like the most crucial year, I finally was like, oh, maybe I should study and, like, study for the SATs and, you know. Um, and, like, I wasn't a bad kid necessarily, but I had this, a similar, like, a similar but different situation going on at home where, like, total overachiever parents, underachieving older sister, and here I was sort of flailing a little bit when I was doing pretty well academically up until high school. And then realizing, like, oh, I don't have room to be, like, they don't have time for me to be a mess because right. they're dealing with so many other things with my sister so I just sort of like did my, I literally just did my own thing and as long as I didn't get in trouble like I didn't do, do anything outwardly to get me punished yeah. they were fine like they just sort of left me alone yeah yeah but yeah. the more I got involved 
in different aspects, like so sports and clubs. And I did actually audition again in my junior year for a student-run production of Hair. Oh, you did Hair? We did Hair, and oh, I didn't do the actual show. audition, but I went to the open house because I was doing. I was a, a, the president of something like Make a Wish Foundation or something like that, Starlight Foundation, and. Um, I noticed that the three people were still in the auditorium, so I like rolled up on them. I was like, I don't know if <laughs> auditions are. I'm here. I'm you... here. Can I audition? I like. I don't know. And they were like, Yeah. So sing a song. So I said. <laughs> what did you say? I said I can't remember the the title of it, but I sang a Nelson song. <laughs> remember Nelson? Nelson the brothers. The brothers. Of course, I remember. <laughs> like the blonde boys, right? Blonde boys. Oh sure. And I belted it out. With nobody else, with the three of them in the room, and I just felt. You know who one of the um, one of the people were? Who? So it was there was a there were three directors. One Stephen who was the Sondheim. music, the music director. There was a, a dance choreographer, and then like the dramaturg or whatever. So the three of them were directing the show, okay. and one of them was Danny Super. Shut up! Again with the Danny Super. Danny Hi, Danny. Super. Hey, Danny. We talked about you a lot. Is. Well. Dan- yeah, so you guys went to college together, sure right? Did. And I went to high school yep. with her, which I think is connection. And and David Doug also. I went to college. Yeah, he also would know Danny. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, so that's just a fun fun fact. But for me, like you, like theater was a thing that I I I think I like the sports thing too because it felt like that camaraderie. Yeah. And we were all sort of going for the same thing, and it was also making me have to push myself and compete against myself to get better. Yeah. And that was a big deal. Same thing with theater, right? So I started as trying out, didn't get in, (laughs) tried out again, you know, albeit after, but I got in and I was ensemble and I had a blast. And that was enough to sort of catapult me into college and be like, I'm going to do theater in college. I didn't major in it right away, though. I'll tell you, Hair hair is one of those shows that I've always wanted to be in. It's so fun. Yeah, I love the music. It's little, it's very cheeky. I mean, I half of us didn't understand a thing that we were talking about. <laughs> Definitely me, I didn't. Um, and they cut it. You know, we had, could only we only had an hour <laughs> to do the show. And they cut like half the songs. Oh man! <laughs> because they were inappropriate. Quote, Did you guys get naked at the end? No. But there was definitely an orgy scene that, like, we <laughs> abstractly did, but fully clothed. Like a modern we were literally, I, And I didn't understand anything. So I was just sort of like, you want me to ride on this? Oh, oh, oh all right. Goodness. But didn't think anything of Is it. Didn't understand. I wish. I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, man. I'm wearing these like big genie pants that are sort of somewhat <laughs> see-through. You put some calls out and, <laughs> to see who, uh, who in the who poor Washington have, area have, has oh a copy gosh. of that. Who, maybe Danny does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, so where did you go to college? So I first, I, as we just discussed, my, my academics were not very solid because I had put my focus other places mm. for most of my high school career, and I absolutely bombed the SATs. I, I had a moment during my SATs where it might have been a panic attack. I'm not really sure. I just didn't want to sit in that chair anymore, mm-hmm. and I didn't really understand the ramifications of this test and I only took half of it and I left halfway through oh. so I really did not do well on my SATs and I, I've met a few people that have done worse but that's really saying something because I only took half of it yeah so I left I left that and uh, so I didn't really get into any of my 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 colleges that I applied to mm-hmm. so my mom had the wherewithal to kind of push me into this college called Dean Junior College which was this small two-year university outside of Boston and 
now since then, it's no longer a junior college. They, they're, they're a four-year college now. But when I went there, it was a two-year associate's program. And they had a theater department. Oh. And it was perfect because we didn't have a theater department in my high school. So I ended up going to this college for two years. And the whole time, I knew I wanted to transfer to Emerson. So they helped. It was like kind of a pipeline to another school. So I worked the whole curriculum out to fit right into Emerson. So after two years, I transferred to Emerson oh. and, then, and then spent two years in Emerson and ended up with a BFA. That's amazing. Yeah. And I got sort of kind of more training than my comrades at Emerson did because I did a full two-year acting program and then transferred into the musical theater program and was able to take all four years of Emerson's acting and musical theater training in two years because all of my sort of... Um, Liberal what are they arts, called? Like yeah, uh, your other requirements. Gen Eds were yeah. taken care of, and, wow. I, and I and with one summer course, I I got out in two years with a BFA in both acting and musical theater from Emerson. So it really That's worked amazing. for me. I don't think they Emerson wouldn't let you do that today because after I did it, they were like, "Oh, this is a weird loophole, and we should probably not let this happen," because <laughs> they probably could have gotten a lot more money out of me. Yeah, right. uh, and on top of that, you know. It didn't give me much time to process what I was learning and then apply it. I was learning a lot. Of, like, I was taking two years of acting at once, which was kind of a lot. But it was great. I was just sort of saturated in it, and I loved it. Yeah. So that, so, and, and it, at Dean, I, I managed to get more more voice and singing training. That's where I started dancing. So I picked up tap and ballet and all of the, all the dance forms. So by the time I got to Emerson, it was, uh, it was like kind of like a conservatory. That's great. Yeah. And what, so... Did you have like you have all the oh god there's so much so you did you feel like you concentrated in a specific area or were at you Emerson? all just like, uh, in college in general so um, like, at I, either well, program yeah I, because of the music background and and I did get a lot of kind of private voice and theory and all that stuff from the music and at Dean if I were to pick a more of a focus within those two programs that I went through it would have been musical theater. Mm. So I, I, I think I took all of the courses that they offered for musical theater, and I took just enough from the acting department to get that on there as well. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I, I kind of wanted to be a singer-dancer on Broadway. That's where I thought I was headed. Wow. Yeah. So what happened after college? So while I was at college, I, got my, I auditioned for the big musical that year, which was Our Town, and did not get anything. And it was kind of a comment by the guy who was running the musical theater department. He was really upset with me because I tested out of his American musical theater history class. Uh -huh. And this was like what this guy was known for. Uh -huh. And I went in and I said, I've already taken this class because I did. I took it at Dean and, it, you know, yeah. and I and I and he said, I'm going to ask you three questions. And if you get them right, you can you can, you know, fine. You can don't have to take this class. And he got really mad at me. And he asked me these three questions and I answered them all correctly. And he signed the paper. And he threw it at me. Ooh. And uh and of course, my, my stupidity, I didn't realize that he was directing Our Town. So when I auditioned for it, there was this guy that just threw this paper at me, and I didn't get anything. And I don't, I don't know if it was in response to that, or if I yeah. just was sucking hard at that point, or what. But, the re but I was really broken up about it. Yeah. But if, like all these moments happen, as I was walking away from that sort of crushing defeat, mm -hmm. uh, I saw a sign for an improv troupe audition. So I auditioned for one of Emerson College's uh, improv troops called This Is Pathetic which Dennis Leary was a member of Oh, so I didn't know that till later But and I ended up getting that and I ended up making like the best friends and like a whole new bracket of people from Emerson mm -hmm. and I loved it and I started improvising so that was my junior year of college wow. and then by way of that 
uh, one of the members in our group, her name is Amanda Hootery, and she currently runs the Celebration Barn up in South Paris, Maine, which is a huge physical training camp up there. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Del Arte, but on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, she knew this mime named Tony Montanero, and she brought our whole troupe up to Maine, up to his studio, to do a weekend workshop with him as our improv troupe. And I met Tony Montanero, who ended up being one of the strongest artistic influences in my life and a huge mentor for me as an oh, artist. Wow. And I felt I like fell in love with his work. He was a mime and an improviser and a physical comedian, and I just ate it up. So after that weekend, I said I, I want I committed to spending the summer with him up at the barn mm -hmm. that following summer. And then after that summer I spent with him at the barn, I moved to Portland after I'd graduated. I moved to Portland, Maine to study with him full time. Wow. So I, at that point, my path changed from singer-dancer to physical storyteller. Wow. And I, I left, I, and I still love to sing, and I, I love when I get a chance to use it on a project, but my passion these days is really physical comedy, and I got that from Tony. That's amazing. Yeah. So if you had gotten into this play... I may not be have... sitting on the speech with you, Courtney. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he, he was an amazing force. He, you know, I kind of learned the discipline, the real discipline of an artist, and and really got into physical expression and all that. And um, how to you know, write pieces and perform them as solos or, or ensemble devised work, all that stuff came out of that. And I ended up spending about, about a year and a half with him in his, in his studio and, there was, and this was a wonderful class of people. There was five of us and I was the only American because oh. people were coming from, around, like from Europe and other places to study with this guy and I, and I got in at the right time. And he's unfortunately passed away but I was lucky enough to study with him while he was still cooking. And, uh, and it was great. There was like there was two Germans. There was this South African Christian mime who was in the class who had a fit. That's a story for another time. Um, and me. <laughs> and uh, and we really we got together and just you know took class from him and wrote pieces and performed together. And and would you take those pieces on on the road or perform um, specifically there? You know, a lot of those have never seen the light of the stage. Oh. They were just made. They were just like, like exercises, yeah. And you just work on it for a while. I mean, some of them were. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, the, Mandy, the woman I was just talking about, when we got out of, when they graduated from college, because they were a little younger, we formed a troupe. We formed a four-person improv and mime troupe and wrote a, went back to Tony and wrote a show with him, and then we toured it across the country. Wow. Yeah. And, that, and, and after I grad, that's when I moved to San Francisco, and we all landed in San Francisco to work with the American Mime Theater which was my first real mime company that I was a part of. And what, okay, so you're, 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 you're um, can you give me time? So when were you in San Francisco? Yes, in we moved to the like, summer of 1999. So I graduated Emerson in 97, right. which was about that two years I spent in Maine. Okay. And then when they graduated in 99, we went up, we were also at the barn that summer. So the fall of 99, we moved to San Francisco together. There were four of us. There were four of you. Yes, it was myself. Mandy Hootery, who's now the, running the barn, she bought it from, from Tony after he passed. Mm -hmm. uh, a guy named Chris Libby, fantastic performer out of San Francisco, mm -hmm. and a guy named Nathan Phillips, who is currently like an A-lister madman in New York, like Whoa. working on some crazy creative ad stuff, and he's blown up. So That's amazing. Yeah, so that was our crew. Wow. Okay, so so just to just to loop back into like you know I realized I didn't ask you um, a very specific question. It was like wh how do you how do you identify as a as an act uh, as, an, as artist? an artist? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard because I mean even just in the stories we've talked about, right? Yeah. We've had music, dance, mm -hmm. theater, acting, and now mime. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I'd, I'd say artist. 
Just an, I mean, because I, I still love and practice lots of things. I mean, actor is, as, as we finish out the rest of my training, like, I did go back and get a master's in acting. Yeah. So, you know, actor kind of is a general term, but it also doesn't really get at the physical stuff I used to do. So I, I, I use different different titles depending on what I'm going for okay. or what I'm trying to do. So, in, in again, before we keep going with your timeline, I'm just wondering if there was any... Uh, moment within uh, high school, college, just after college and working with Tony Montanero, um, was there any teaching that was happening simultaneously? Yes. Yes, there was. When I was, uh, I went to a summer camp out, right outside of UConn, actually, came back to UConn, and they had a really sweet counselor and training program there. Mm -hmm. So once I kind of aged out of the camp, uh, I naturally kind of went for the counselor and training program and then became a counselor. So I, w I was a camp counselor for three or four years when I was a teenager and that was my first time working with kids and I loved it and it just came naturally my, my, I have a, kind of come from a family of teachers and it just seemed something that fit I, I liked kids and I like like I said I like moving around so like that that sort of energy worked and then when I yeah when I was in school uh, I, I started teaching after school programs in the arts and I was also a creative dramatics director at one at another camp and then when I was in, when I was working in Maine, I worked for the YMCA and taught a bunch of kids programs up there. And then those just started kept growing. Mm. And when I moved to San Francisco, I got my first classroom teacher job. That's right. You were. I was a PE teacher. <laughs> I was a PE teacher in Oakland, I feel like California. This is, this is where I know <laughs> forward. Yeah, and, and it's funny because as you know, uh, I was not a sports player and was never on a team sport, but I booked a job as a PE teacher. <laughs> on Fruitvale Avenue in Oakland, California. Wow. Yeah. And I loved it. I didn't expect to stay in that job because I was, you know, I finished out a season of performing with the Mime Troupe and September rolled around and they kind of closed their doors for the winter and I was like, shit, I need a job. And, uh, and Mandy was like, you should apply for this. I just found this online and I applied for it and got it. And it was a year where California had sort of slashed a bunch of their PE budgets and they needed not-for-profits to, to step in and fill these gaps in PE. And so without a credential, I had a full load as a teacher in a public school with pretty much no experience in public school. <laughs> so you have no experience in public school, never played on a sports team, nope. not even certified in PE. Nope. And, and there were two of two of my classes I saw didn't speak English. Oh, did you speak? Yeah. Their it was Spanish. I had three okay. years in high school, but it had been a while. Well, that's where the mime training really came oh, in. Oh, yeah. It turned into like mime PE. <laughs> <laughs> and these, these little kids didn't know like, because I'm also like, for our listeners, I'm a big dude. I'm 6'4". I'm, I'm a kind Tall of and wiry. I'm a, uh, you know, I have weird hair and nobody really knew what to do with me. Big surprise. So, but I loved it. I ended up staying the whole year and it really set a tone for my teaching at that point because that's what the most serious teaching I had done so far. And, and and it's something that I realized that I wanted to continue with. So so what was so meanwhile you were also still working artistically. Yes, the whole time I was interning and working at the Mime Troupe for the two years I spent in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and I also had uh, I forgot to mention this, but I was also obsessed with the circus when I was a kid too. So I I taught myself how to juggle and kind of was a uh, you know a junkie for the circus arts. So when I got out to San Francisco, I I found myself to the San the San Francisco School of Circus Arts and started training there. So I started picking up weird circus skills there, like tight wire, juggling, wow. more clowning, rolling globes, stilts, 
to try the trapeze, but I was too big for it. I'm, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. Plus, I, my upper body strength is not what it, I wasn't ready to commit to that. But I started working, and then I started teaching there too. So yeah. I started teaching kids programs in circus. Okay. Uh, and that was back in like 2000. So, so what was it about the circus that like spoke to you? I just love that that no matter who you are, what you look like, what you do, what your skills are, there is a place for you in the circus. And there's very few places that follow that. Like the theater is one of those, but even in the theater, you kind of have to like, you have to be focused enough to do, to like play ball. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in the circus, like you, your act could be as wild as you want and you do your, your, your five or seven minutes yeah. and you're done. You know what I mean? Like nobody cares. Yeah. Sorry. I'm distracted by the officers over there. I don't know oh, they're just guy. drinking on the beach. Oh, is that it? You got to keep it. You got to keep that in a cup, guys. Come on. Come on. Oh, that's too bad. Anyways. Um, yeah. So like, I love the circus that it's, it's just sort of like anything goes. You know, I, I, it's interesting because my experience was all like pretty much straight theater with a little bit of musical theater. And I didn't go to a conservatory um, uh, and I never ended up, I, my master's is not specifically in, in acting, but um, theater was what I knew until I got to, even, sorry, even in um, going through the, the grad program, educational theater, we only read plays. Hmm. So we'd write, we'd read like a lot of things that were made for theater for young audiences, but specifically scripts, as opposed to a larger swath of, of performing arts. So going and working at the New Victory was uh, a sort of a culture shock for me because I didn't have as much experience in these other art forms. Um, and circus, obviously, I know a boatload of, of circus, uh, but I still know that I don't know everything because I didn't specifically train in it. But like, I, I agree with you. There's something that like anybody can everybody can find something that they could do in circus yeah like if you're big and strong we we've got jobs for you yeah if you play instruments you can there's things for you to do you know if you make things there's the art department yeah, if you're like there's oh there's a lot of ways in which i yeah. really like yeah. and it's kind of weird stuff unless you grew up in a circus family when you start working with people like most of the time like you're all kind of beginning which is nice not like if i were if a kid if I, as a kid, wanted to step onto a soccer team, I would have. I, I auditioned for auditions. I tried out for a basketball team one time and didn't make it. Yeah. And it's because I didn't. I had no experience with it, and all these other kids had had years of it. And like, right. you know, it's just. I don't know. I kind of like that. It's a lot of kids. You know, when you start working with kids in circus, unless there's a program that you're tracking through many years, a lot of them are starting at the same place, which is a really nice even playing field to mm. just say, hey, we're all new at this. Let's all try new things. I, I also like the fact that you can say let's try new things but also when you find something that you really enjoy zone in on yeah. it and really get get sure. it to a place where you feel like you can master it Absolutely. and then you know be able to showcase that and share that and then the best thing I love is when kids learn a specific like if it's equipment or a certain skill set and then they teach you so That's like cool. remember kids weeks and, I love kids weeks um lunch break like somebody would come in and lunch so I would like cover lunches yeah. and the whole thing was about playing like I didn't do anything with those no. kids I just like focus on the Diablo Sure. and for a week I would come in and I would <laughs> keep trying and I was horrible at it and I finally like by the end of the week I was getting it and some kid wrote in their journal that lady like the, what, what was the takeaway that lady who kept trying every single time and she was really bad but by the end she finally got it she kept at it see you bring up a good point because 
that is really important for kids to see, right? Mm -hmm. they, important for kids to see adults failing and trying things mm -hmm. and going out of their comfort zones because we're asking them to do that all the all time. time. So I love that you did that. And, you know, I'm constantly in rooms with teachers that, for whatever reason, have just blocked themselves to say, well, I don't do that or I don't sit on the floor or mm. no, I'll be over here. or I, I, I could never do that or I can't do that. We have strict rules in the circus about saying can't because yeah. it's really hard to learn something once your brain is made up your mind that you can't do it. That's a good point, Skylar. It's, I've it's been like having a, scientifically like a, proven a, that if you say I can't do that, you've already chemically blocked yourself. So then you won't do it. Like you, you can't. It'll be, it'll you literally be can't because you whatever told your, your brain. Whatever percentage that report was saying. <laughs> <laughs> that much harder. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Okay, so 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 you're a PE teacher. So I'm a mime a PE mime teacher. <laughs> and uh, after two In years, I did that for a full school year. And then that fall, I moved to New York City. And what was the impetus for moving to I New fell York? in love. What? Yep. Love. That was part of it. And I always wanted to live in New York. Everybody moves to New York for a specific reason. <laughs> whether it's a job opportunity, it's, true, it's the running energy, from something, running, running from, to something. Running to. I agree. But love always Love was comes a big big part of it. It's a huge play. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Without going too much into that. Yeah, there was a boy and uh, oh yeah, I'm gay. Oh yeah. <laughs> just just wanted to be clear about that. Well, oh, that's, that's a big actually part of... a good point because I just want to—I just want to note something that I think is really funny—is uh, so I haven't seen you. In, I mean, technically, I've seen you a couple times here and there, but I haven't come out to visit you. You moved here three years ago, right? I moved. It will be three years in November. Okay, so two and a half years ago. Yeah, a little. And I'm—you know—I come. I make this trip, and a couple days ago, we were on the beach in Encinitas, and we took all these great pictures. And, you know, I've been posting my vacation. So I said something very kind, I think, about, like, how you have a big, a special place in my heart. And there's this, like, amazing picture of you and me, right? <laughs> Did you cause some drama in the waves? No, somebody, somebody who doesn't have a clue who you are oh, wrote me, like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> XOXO. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my oh. God, they think that we're together. <laughs> well, I'm not going to correct her. You know? Maybe relationships take many forms it's true you know uh, no but that was a big part of me like finding the arts too like because I was closeted until I got, like, got to college mm. the second college there was no one out at my first college so oh. the arts really were like the only place I feel like I could actually be myself yeah, that's a, that's, I think that's yeah. I mean so, it's a place where you should feel everybody should be able to express themselves or can you know find a way to express themselves but I think this idea of like I'm really interested in this uh, this idea of like perception. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Like the idea of like everything's perfect that I find happens a lot in the suburbs when you know behind closed doors like everything is messed up. Yeah. And how the arts is a, is a place where you can actually explore some of that those issues. Um, sure. But also that you should be able to find a, a way to be yourself. Um, or feel comfortable being Yeah, there's so many yourself. people that, like, really ask you to bring your authentic self. Like, yeah. I mean, I love sports. There's a lot of really positive things for sports. But they don't. you don't have to bring your authentic self to no. play a sport. Really. No, because some people are just good. 
it's not necessarily like... I mean, I think if you do bring your authentic self and you have gifts in that way and it's something you want to practice and get better at, sure, like, there's room for all that. But I, I don't know. The arts just get at, get at a little deeper and a little bit more about, you know, you, you're able to, to, to express yourself in a, in a number of ways. I don't know. I love the arts, so I can yeah. talk about that all day. Well, that's why you're oh, here. that's why we're here. Yeah. Okay, so New York. So what was your first gig in New York? So I arrived in New York... And my first job was I became a carpenter, an, uh, a carpenter for Off Broadway, an Off Broadway production company oh. called Lanky and Limey Productions. Yeah. I don't know if they're still around. <laughs> so I became a carpenter. Okay. Uh, say, can you tell me more? Like, where this feels like it came out of nowhere. So you're a handyman now, and I like am a handyman. you can make sets. Set um, design. I, uh, more more construction, yeah. Okay. So, um, tech construction, yeah, tech like carpentry and stuff. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I went to, I went to through two theater training programs. So there yeah. was a lot of shop and a lot of tech theater built into our program, right. and I knew my way around tools. And I, and I also, uh, before I found the arts, wanted I was almost an architect. I was on my way to becoming. Took a lot of, uh, like, um, like computer aided drafting courses and and drafting by hand and things, so I could read plans and stuff so like when I my buddy Nathan who was in the original group called I forgot to mention the name of it, it was called Juice, Juice. the mime troupe that, the company that we toured west uh-huh. he got me he got me the job he was working as a carpenter and I don't know how much how many skills he had at it but he basically was like we need people and I could do it so I slipped into that and I started building we, we pretty much I built a lot like every off-Broadway theater set between like 2000 and 2003 I probably built Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first gig. And I liked it. And, it, you know, of course, I was like, you know, I was in New York. I was working. It was cool. I started meeting people. And then that job opened up. Uh, my buddy Nathan was on a, a, a running crew position for an off-Broadway musical. And he got a gig somewhere else, and he needed somebody to cover for him. So I slipped into oh. a crew position on an off-Broadway musical. Wow. Uh, and, but it was a unit. I sure do. It was called Pete and Keeley. It was a two-person musical. Mm-hmm. It was at the John Hausman Theater, which is no longer there okay. because of the new Theater Row. But it was on Forty Second Street, and I, you know, I had a, I had an outstanding gig. I was doing eight shows a week, and nice. it was a unique position because we were also on stage. So Bob Mackey designed the costumes for Whoa. this production. So I was in a Bob Mackey jumpsuit, uh, and the show took place in the '60s. I with, need to see. Oh yeah, there's picture. some great pictures. <laughs> so so I, it kind of felt like performing too because we were on stage. Like yeah. There was a lot of duties that we we the, the premise of the show was that it was like a reunion show for like a Sonny and Cher, right? So it's like a a, a, a music duo from the '60s that had had all these hits, but they had since divorced. And now they're coming back on the air to do a reunion show, but they hated each other. Their characters hated each other. Oh my god! So we're the crew. Like we were part of the show, but like you know, we were on stage and doing stuff with them. But we were really the crew because yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. want to pay actors the, the actors, right? The, right. But there I was in a Bob Mackie jumpsuit, oh my and my god. name in the show was Carla because they were too cheap. To, <laughs> they were too cheap to switch the patches out, and the one I inherited said Carla on it. That's so amazing. my I, on my resume for a long time, I had this listed, and I listed the role as Carla. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. So I love that, and I got to work with some really great, like some really famous people came through as guest stars on that show: Phyllis Diller, what? Uh, Joanne Worley from Laughing, and uh, Charo. What? So I got, I've worked with all three of those. Dancing with the Stars. She is the, one of the sweetest, 
most generous people she, I've ever met. She was hilarious on that show. She is so sweet. I mean, most people just know her as the Coochie Coochie Girl from like Love Boat and all that. Mm -hmm. But she is an incredible musician and she is so awesome. I'll def I love her. Check out her album. She played a song. I mean, she's what, like 70 something, mm -hmm. late 70s? Uh, no, I don't think she's that old. I think she's about, she's probably mid 60s by mid -60s? now. Mid 60s? I'm going to guess. Because her son, she has a son that's only like 23. Oh. Although that was like 50, that was like 20 years ago, huh? Yeah. So. so my math, <laughs> not so good. I think she's in her 70s. Yeah, she might be. I was thinking that it was still 2000 and whatever that whatever. was. But but she played a beautiful, she played the guitar on um, Dancing with the Stars, like the finale. Wasn't it incredible? And it was amazing. Yeah. She was, it was a just one, her, like a guitar solo, and she was amazing. Check out her album. It's called Guitar Passions by Charo. Yes. And there's a couple tracks on there that are a little cheese ball, but they're those ones where it's just her jamming out and her sort of Spanish guitar thing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And you would never believe it was her unless you saw her doing it. Oh, and yeah, amazing. so go Charo. So yeah, that job opened up some doors for for me yeah. and uh, and it just kept going. That's great. Yeah. So when so when did you like hear the term teaching artist in your in your world? Let's see. I think one of the first organizations I managed to get a job with in New York was, is Leap still a thing? <laughs> yes. Sorry, did that come out weird? Leap is still an Leap. organization. I don't know if I ever worked work. for Leap, but it was something like that, I think. It was, it was a smaller, I don't even know if I could remember the name of it. But I did, I booked like an after school program with all of the teaching stuff that I had. Because once I had a public school in my resume, mm -hmm. nobody asked me if I was credentialed. It just seemed like I had, and I did have a year of teaching experience. Like, I, and that, that with the YMCA and some other things, I had like a teaching resume. Yeah. So I, I got some sort of small, like, you know, teaching gig after school. And then that led me to work with um, an organization called... The, the leadership project, the leadership program, the leadership program, yeah? That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think they're downtown. Their office is just south of Broadway, mm -hmm. or south of Houston. Yeah, so I got in with them, and that, that was when I think I really f was, was hired as a teaching artist. And that, they did a lot of really good. They had a program, I don't think it's around anymore, called In Class Enrichment, which was basically a violence prevention program. So I started with that. And that's where I really cut my teeth going into some, you know, some some very violent classes that had violence, problems with violence. Yeah. And I and I worked there for a couple years. That's where I met Catherine Hannah. Oh, Catherine Hannah. Catherine. We both worked for the leadership program. The leadership program. That's what it was called. <laughs> it's been a long time. I know. Um, and I worked there for for a number of years along with whatever that other organization was. And I was also <laughs> teaching. I also got in with a circus uh, a, a circus company in New York called um, Circus Minimus. And I became an after-school teacher with them. Right. But I don't know if they use teaching artists as a term. And then I, I managed to climb my way up in the ranks of that. And I ended up working for them for about 15 years, uh, running circus programs in communities, training kids for the circus. Cool. Yeah. That's where most of my kids' circus experience comes from, was this company called Circus Minimus. So I kind of mentored with the guy who started that and, and followed him for a couple of years I on the like road. I feel like I've met him. Kevin, Kevin O'Keefe. Uh, yep. Her, his yeah. wife. Uh, Aaron Miley O'Keefe runs a beautiful uh, program called, um, oh geez, 
should have taken my day off a little bit today. Um, I think it's called the Cirque, the the Heart Project or something like that. It used to be called Circus Yoga, but she just changed the name of it. Mm-hmm. Check her out, Erin Miley O'Keefe. She's a. They're both incredible facilitators and art makers, and they're. I couldn't talk about them more positively. They've been really good artistic forces for me. You know, I think I met them at WT's wedding. Yes, they were at WT's yeah. wedding. Um, nice, really nice people. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. And they just, they really have devoted their lives to creating spaces where, you know, kids can really thrive in the arts and, and really become better people by being part of something like that. So check them out. Kevin O'Keefe, Aaron Miley O'Keefe. Start with Circus Minimus if you're listening out there. <laughs> Hi out there. Hello, hello listeners. Um, so, yeah. And then I found the new Vic. And then you found the new Vic. And, and I found the new Vic. Everything is, you know... The rest is history. I love. Well, I you know, the Nuvic was is just a really amazing organization that has a lot of opportunity, and I managed. I was in. I think I worked in that department for about ten years. About that. Yeah. And kind of really got involved in all aspects of everything they were doing yeah. in, in both the classroom and the community programs, and uh, and I found it a really great home base, and that's where I really kind of honed even more so as a teacher because I had never really studied to be a teacher right. and it was all just practical experience but after having hung out there for 10 years I feel like I have a master's in theater education like just with everybody that we've worked with and all the curriculum development and all the knowledge and experience that I was able to soak up working with such amazing people for so long that you know and now I'm running my own education department we're going to get to that in a moment but I just wanted so to, much to talk about I know I know so I'm just trying to get your um get to the heart of it right so I the Nuvik and I think I've talked to you a lot about this like what are what are values that you have both as an artist and a teaching artist in in the work in the work yeah well I think quality is kind of at the heart of it all I really strive to kind of you know find whatever situation I'm in and find the right mix of the art that I have experience with to kind of really meet meet them where they are and give them a piece of something that's quality unfortunately there's a lot of there's a lot of things out there that that are that are good you know but they 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 may not have the the quality of whether it's the teachers don't necessarily have have had studied the the art or there isn't enough time or the program's just not set up well enough to kind of give give these kids a a chance to really kind of dive in and and try to make something or or work with someone else and and do something outside of what they normally could do by themselves. So quality is kind of a big part of it. Um, And honesty. Honesty is also a big part. And that's something that I I found in my work later than I would have liked to have thought. But once I found it, it it was really the only way to move forward with art is just to kind of really connect to some tether of of honesty with something that needs to be said or something that needs to be unearthed or necessary in the world right now. So there needs to be an honest component to it. I feel like I've seen, I've taught with you myself, I've seen you work with young people. Um, In terms of communities, young people sort of in, or do you like to work with adults? I had my first chance to work with senior citizens when I moved here, uh, and I worked with Blake up at another theater and we ran a, a, a senior program and I loved it. Why? It was because it was a similar lesson plan and idea that we would have tried a million times with kids, but but we did it with older folks and they brought talk about like an honesty and a depth. They just showed up kind of 
with some huge life experience yeah. and we're able to kind of put that right into the work and you know there was there were shenanigans that you know kids try to pull and that was funny to watch but i don't know i there was something about working with 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 older folks that just had been through some things and and could just tap into that depth yeah. of the work and really you know start to tell some really honest stories with each other and 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 also watching them kind of break out of these lifelong shells that they've had was pretty incredible. I mean, kids. Sometimes you get a kid that needs to break out a bit, but you know, adults they tell themselves somewhere along the line that they're not creative anymore. They don't do that, like we were talking about. Yeah. And to see an adult, you know, go from like, you know, the corner of the room, like, oh, I don't think so. I don't. That's just not what I do. After a few weeks, to then, you know, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I love that. I mean, I think this that goes back down to what you were talking about, just in in general with the arts. Like, it just it breaks it breaks you free of these constraints that we put on ourselves or the world puts on us and we feel like we need to do yeah um i just i want everybody to be free but free and kind i know it's hard once you kind of are free and then you like you just want to go up to people and like shake them and be or like, just give them a go. give them a puppet and say What's it gonna say? <laughs> you know, it's like all they need is to be given a puppet or given they a just need stimulus, given right? a piece they of fabric or given invitation. a paintbrush yes. or you know a kazoo and just like what do you got? What do you want to? What is what is your mind or what does your body want to do yeah, right now? Yeah, yeah, like go with it. Yeah, it. yeah. I mean, we work with a lot with adults. Um, I have not worked with seniors um, specifically, but we do a lot of teacher professional development. It's the same concept. Yeah. We're especially teachers who are like, I can't, I can't be silly. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. Um, so that's, I'm glad that you're, you know, but I, I, ultimately my question was going to be about, well, I think I was going to make a statement actually about your core values that I've, I've seen evidence oh, sure. of that. Um, the, I, I, another thing I think that you, you have that you didn't necessarily clarify or, or state is, I guess that you did a little bit in the, I, I can't, you, you have this ability of sort of going, challenging people without it feeling confrontational, like enc- encouraging people to take that leap, hmm. to take that risk, um, because you do, you do it like so easily. Um, in terms of your modeling or in terms of your, you know, just supporting, um, you know, the impetus for, for taking that risk, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big deal to create sort of, that's hard because like you, the thing that you said that resonates most for me is, uh, before it was like, you know, we are always asking people to take, go outside of their kids, um, to go outside of their um, comfort zones, but how can they unless they see us doing right. it too? Yeah. yeah, and what a great moment in those professional developments to communicate that to the teachers and say, you know, they're all looking to you. They're, you know, and if and if they if the teachers like they see that, then you know it's just well, another yeah. permission to say no thanks, which is fine. Like there is that fine line in the classroom of like, and I, I was dealing with this this morning actually when I was teaching this morning. Uh-huh. You know that fine line of a kid is really like shell shocked and doesn't want to participate. It's like. You know, you can talk all about that and train people to, like, get them involved. But, like, where is that line? Like, how far do you push a kid? How far do you, you know, give them the opportunities every five minutes to come back in? And, like, you know, it's different for every kid. But I think, you know, the more that, they, that they're that they used to 
just trying new things, mm -hmm. not judging each other, and, and it's really about creating a supportive environment yeah. from the get-go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So as soon as you try to try to get that going, even a little snickery comment or something, it, it's it like I, I've gotten really good at, at, at just being like, "Whoop! I just heard something," and like, and it will change. It takes time, but like, hopefully, that's the goal, right? To change the culture of a classroom yeah. or to change a community to where you're really either listening or or not jumping to a conclusion, but really getting empathy to really help each other out. I mean, that's, I think that's what we're kind of getting yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I, got, I started thinking about Spark and yeah. um, how some, 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 some kids can, like all they know is this, uh, the the self-defense mechanism, right? Of like, if I make fun of somebody else, that won't turn on me. Yeah, or maybe I'll get a friend because they're laughing or, at somebody. Yeah, and, hey, yeah. hey, oh, yeah, look yeah. at that kid. What are they doing? And now I'm in your club. Yeah. I mean, that's a really hard cycle to break, right? It's a very difficult cycle to break. But it, and it, it does take, it literally will take three years, literally, three years to get there. And even that, it's not because unless it's being reinforced, that positivity is being reinforced. Exactly throughout all of their right. day their teacher their parent their after school provider whatever their yeah. grandparents yeah that's it's that one hour we get them in the room isn't gonna you know unless it's reinforced is is hard to stay well, it's, but that's the question right can the arts still stick even despite all of those other um variables i'd like to think so yeah and i think it does i think it does and i don't know if it always um is very clear in the moment yeah um but there is something to be said about over time what what exposure and engagement in the arts can do for for anybody um, what a great moment though like there's a little girl in this class i had this morning who has never said a word i've probably worked with them three sessions and she's never said a word in the workshop and i first i thought at first it was a language barrier and then then the teacher finally pulled me aside and said oh well both of her parents are deaf oh. and i said well does she sign so she does sign, and I was signing with her, and she—I could tell she we, we were communicating, but she she I got her to, to give the sign for yes, and that was a huge breakthrough. But today, I in the same way you were talking about getting people to take risks, yeah. and it's funny because I think this may have just happened. I kind of was doing like a story whoosh with them, and which is a is an exercise where you tell a narrator tells a story and asks for volunteers to come into the center of the circle to help tell it, whether it's make a forest or become a character and it gets kids up on their feet storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of swept her into this like four person group to make an alley of, of a city. Mm -hmm. And she got up today and she did it. And, and you know, like, you know, next week we'll get her up again and maybe by the end we'll get her to say her name in front of a group. I'm like, you know, that's great. It's been, and for each, like you said, it's, it's individual for each kid about like how, or a person, you know, how far they're going to take it that day. But incremental steps is great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Great. Um, so, so you and I actually taught together. Yes, we for did. years. For years. In a what was that like six or seven years or something? something like that? Actually, funnily enough, your name came up in um, so that that teacher still has. Um, was Walter? Uh huh. She oh, still you tell her I said hi. I will. But your name came up. Both of our names came up in a in a recent email about planning for next year really? because she wants to do something similar. She's like, oh, Courtney and Skyler did this one year with my students, nice. and I'm thinking this is you know these are the shows and this is what I'm 
thinking in terms of the the create the original piece that they make for the end of the year. Oh, cool! But yeah, that residency lives on. <laughs> long yeah, we we did us, have a chance to teach together, and I was so grateful for that opportunity too. because um, I ended up getting really down with deaf culture and, and ended up learning how to sign, and that yeah. was that's opened up some great doors for me. Uh, and the 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 only the only um, opportunities I really get to use it out here in San Diego is I'm also a hospital clown where I go and do uh, therapeutic clowning in the children's hospital. And every once in a while, they, I, get to, uh, I get to sign in the hospital. And it blow, it's like the last thing that these people expect, right? It's like there's this weird clown team coming up, and all of a sudden they speak the language, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. That's really great. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so let's talk about what you do now. Let's talk about so that. you've been in San Diego for two and a half years, mm-hmm. and where do you work? So... Uh, my husband and I moved out to San Diego to take, uh, he took the job of executive artistic director of Diversionary Theater out here in San Diego, which is an LGBTQ theater, uh, and we're just about to start our 32nd season. So we stepped in fairly late in its tenure as far as its history, but uh, really wanted to kind of start to steer it in a new direction. And when I arrived, uh, it just seemed like a no-brainer to kind of get the education department back on its feet because of everything I had been doing. And there was nobody to do it. So I inherited a folder of some teachers' contacts and a few letters that had gone out at one point to teachers. Mm-hmm. And I and, and maybe a, a small file on a computer. And that's where it started. And from what I could tell, the, the education department had been dormant for about four years. Nothing. No programming. Nothing. 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 But before that, they were doing some sort of teacher guides. And um, there was maybe a couple, st- maybe they were engaging some kids to come see a show in a season. It didn't seem very structured. Or it didn't seem very, very regimented or sort of consistent. So I started to, to create some programming uh, based on my work at the New Vic, uh, kind of in the, off the, in the classroom program. And we started engaging schools uh, to invite them to a student matinee for each of our main stage shows. And we do five a year. So we started a, a, a matinee series for students. And then around that, we also offer a pre- and post-show workshop with a specific content developed lesson plan around each show. Uh, and that's basically kind of coming right out of the New Vix model. And, it, and, it, and it's a fantastic model. You know, it's, it's, it's well-trained. It's, it's well-practiced. It's been researched. It's had a lot of really great eyes and, and people on it. And, uh, and I just kind of took that and framed it off of that. It's a little bit different, but that's pretty much yeah. what it is. And I'm kind I mean, of... And the content of the work and the... And the like who's developing the lesson plans that's me you. yeah so, so i went content developer right developer. so i kind of it's because yeah. of our our limitations of budget and, and personnel it's kind of me and i do have an intern now but when i started the first we inherited half of a season so for a season and a half it was just me that that's all the outreach all the fundraising i mean i, mean, I helped with fundraising i didn't like i'm not calling myself a grant writer or anything. Right. you know um developing all the lesson plans teaching all the lesson plans coordinating the all, all the day of activities of the of the matinee mm-hmm. leading the talk back and the post show so i was doing everything myself what happens if you're in the show you have to do all that well plus. this is the well it's funny you mention that I'm, I'm actually in a production right now where we did do all that and it was the first time that it happened the one other show that i did we didn't have any educational content around it because it took place mostly over a, uh, the winter break and it was a short run so the fir- this was the first time I actually had a chance to work on a show in my entire year as a teacher, ever as a teaching artist, to yeah. work on a piece of content that I was in. And that was really special. So what, so what does your curriculum development process look like? 
Um, it's similar to what we would do at the New Vic, where, but that was a team-based thing. So it starts with a research phase where, you know, you read the script or look at any materials that are already out there on the show and make sure you're studying up on the art forms and kind of getting all that sort of research and sort of ways in. And then I, and then I sort of look at the art forms that are being done and, and, and find exercises that fits that and try to give the students an opportunity to take on a little bit of the art form that's being done in the show. Um, and then there's usually, there's because of our content tying into the LGBTQ community, there's usually some pretty heavy duty kind of parts of it that get get some conversations going about the community and about kind of what what's going on currently and, and how we tie that back to our own lives. Sometimes we have an opportunity to work with GSAs like a Gay Straight Alliance, but a lot of times we're in regular regular classrooms. So uh, it's it's unique to go in with such a specific focus. Yeah. And a lot of our content is is geared for adults. So there's you know there's so, that. So in your in your outreach to the schools. Um, what are the what are the conversations to get them to buy or are they I'm sorry is it a paid program? It is a completely free program. Okay, so what are the conversations around? Do you you know are you sorry? I guess what I'm asking are are you building relationships with these schools or is it is it a little bit uh, more of outreach so you're gaining a. A relationship. It's a little of both. When I first started, I started with that folder that I inherited right. of just schools and started emailing anybody who I could get a get a contact information for, and say, "Hey, we've got this free program." And we scared a lot. A lot of a lot of schools looked at our, our and know who we are and looked at our content and just said, "Nope, that's not for us." For whatever reason, and it's hard not to judge. I try not to judge that, but it's it, it. You know, I'm sure there's they have their reasons, but sometimes maybe it's their prejudice. I'm not sure. Um, but the ones that wanted to play ball, I started to work with, and it grew. You know, so there was a couple high schools that were like, "Yes, our students definitely need Attention this." Boogie boarders and swimmers oh. out here, we have a strong rip current in this area. Stand by. Stay where you can touch at all times. Thank you. Stand by. Lifeguard warning. Lifeguard warning. See the, number one. That proves to you, listeners, we really are. At the, <laughs> it's pretty much Baywatch what we're looking at here. They got the jet skis out. There's incredibly good-looking men running around. Women. And women. Cuties. I know. I'm Every, ju- I'm just everybody, saying. I mean, it's an equal opportunity beach. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> no judgments. Okay. Right. Everybody's enjoying themselves. Everyone's having a great time. Including Maybe me. you can hear the waves. Stand by for wave identification. <laughs> okay, back to it. Back to um, it. So, yeah, so, yeah, some of them were just, you know, contacts that, that I, I found on a list. Some were recommended to me. And then as we sort of grew, some of, a lot of our schools are repeat kind of customers. So once they come and see what we're offering and they realize that it's, it's actually really, really good and their, their students, you know, there's a need for it, then now we're starting to turn with, I have to come up with a new system to figure out a fair way to, to get the, everybody in. Yeah. Uh, and we had a bunch of new outreach schools that we engaged this year by way of a grant that we won for some transportation because out here, transportation seems to be the biggest hurdle to get people to our theater. Yeah. Uh, and once we kind of bridged that, we engaged a bunch of middle schools, which I was curious about to bring to these very adult shows yeah. dealing with our current show is called Ballast by a wonderful playwright named Georgette Kelly. That uh, you saw the show, I did. and it deals it deals with human issues, but it is it, it, it could be looked at as a trans a transgender story, and uh, you know there were there was definitely some some feelings for me about bringing middle schools to this because I and I and you know what's funny is the whole time I've been here, even with our content as adult and sort of deep as it is, I have not knocked on my umbrella. I have not gotten one complaint, one email That's from great. anybody. That's really great. And they may, maybe the schools feel them, but we have not received any negative feedback 
at all, That's which blows my mind because yeah. we get a we get a few here and there at the new Vic yeah, over oh, yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, and you know, I don't know. It's it's just interesting with that kind of content to, and I would, and it's not that San Diego is much more liberal. There there are plenty of conservative areas of this town. So I'm yeah. just thinking that like with your outreach and building these relationships with these schools, the, the types of schools that are coming. You're making the choice to bring their students it's they, they have enough information it seems to really know like this is yes I know what I'm choosing I yeah. know what kind of experience my students are going to have the fact that it is this sort of package of a pre-post that there's opportunities to uh, get information ahead of the time plus you know debriefing after like that's a big that's a very important thing you know and uh, uh, so I'm really I'm, I'm very pleased by that fact and yeah. just, but like you were saying the other day about <laughs> the post show experience and how some kids were like yeah. saying some things that were kind of shocking yeah yeah and that's ballast and, but you know even if they if they have a shocking reaction to it or, or their perception of it is brings up something that's shocking for someone like me to hear them say you know I think the, the best part is is that you're there in their classroom and, yeah. and it, it, it is a discussion it's a yeah. way into a conversation about well why did you feel that way why did you laugh at that particular part of the show mm-hmm. when that character was really going through something difficult or there might be somebody next to you who identifies as that had the same challenge in their life and you know how does that work and and you know why did you know exactly it's like, well, well, let's talk about that yeah and so the difference between I mean those those kids that you went and worked with you actually you were also in the show that's true which is something that our teaching artists get all the time are you in the show are you in the right. show and we're sure. always like no we're not in the yeah. show because that's not that's not the model but we, you know is there is there a particular difference in the in the uh tone or quality of those conversations if you're in the show versus you're not in the i show? mean i think the, the biggest one for me was that i had just so much more information about the play about how it was developed, yeah. my experience working on it, you know, my, my knowledge of the show was was well beyond. Even if I was on a curriculum development team, you know, if you're if you're not a part of the development process, then you basically have if you've read the script, if you've seen the show, and maybe if you've read something about the company, right. you know. But to really talk about why a playwright chose this particular way to tell the story, because I not only heard it from her mouth, but I actually brought the. This was a really wild show for me to to teach this time, because I not only I brought the playwright with me for a pre-show workshop, which I had never had an opportunity to do. So when we get to a point, it's like, oh well, there's a lot of dream, you know, there's dream lives in this show. Well, why did you write that into the show? And there's the playwright right there talking to these kids, right. uh, you know. And I also brought a cast member with me to another one. So it, it just it just deepened the whole experience in yeah. a way that, you know, I could really I could really speak to and answer it anything that came at it and, and in a really informed way. Is that something that you would want to try and figure out how to build into the program? I mean, it seemed to have maybe, uh, I mean, it's just sort of what, serendipitously for this one, but is that something that you'd like to try and see if it's more possible moving forward? I think so. I mean, I, I definitely, when I, when I get a chance to talk with other casts and artists that we work with about what we're doing in the classroom, there's always a few of them in the cast that seem very interested in it and, and show, show some curiosity about coming with me to a a thing Mm -hmm. so yeah i I think that 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 i think that's a great idea to and to see if because we've had we've had companies at the new vic who have offered but yeah i don't think ever done it's hard i think it's just harder um we haven't really i mean i think the closest was when we did that one show that happened in the class i think 
it was after you left, but like it happened in the class. No, oh, I know what you mean. You it was there. the um the Kappa. guy who went through the wall. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> you like I love that show. I, that show he, like, was portaled. so yeah. yeah. He portaled into the classroom and then, like does this yeah, one yeah, that show. Was cool. And then there's a talk back and um the the workshop happened right after. Right. And um so that was a, a departure for us yeah. and a wonderful opportunity for him to be able to have like direct in you know interaction Absolutely, with yeah. students who. But it was interesting because he was not interested in facilitating any part, but he wanted, he didn't have a, a problem being facilitated, you know huh, what I mean? Yeah. And of course, you know, he just did like, makes sense, you know, a you know, 40 minute Someone's show. not used to that, then. Yeah, and that's not his, his necessary. I mean, I think anytime process. you can engage an artist who is part of the creation or part of the production yeah, or, or performance of it, what a treat. Special, I mean, yeah, so special. And, you know, not only for the kids to say, wow, we saw your work, but also, you know, a lot of times we go into performing arts schools or or, or even schools that, that have people who like to sing or dance and then they have a chance to, to, to ask questions or yeah. to, 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 you know, to really connect with those artists. I think that's, I mean, Especially since we don't, you know, like talkbacks can only be so long, you know right. what I mean? And, yeah. and it, it, it's for the benefit of the entire audience as opposed sure. to, you know. And there's a pressure to move on and get some more questions and something yeah. rather like really kind of get a Digging discussion. In, yeah, yeah, it's true. And that's more. That's what I've in our shows, anyways. Just because the, there's somewhat not not deeper or thicker than Nuvik shows, but um, but they there almost since needs to be a, a longer conversation. And yeah. I feel like that's the that's most of the posts. It's just like what did you like? Let's talk about the yeah. show, you know, because these are like big human. No, I get it. I mean, you know, with a show like. Um... Agaboom, or or even like a Bello show, like, <laughs> like there's things you can show, talk you can about. Definitely, but it's Absolutely, more but, you know, like what else can we talk about? Really? Right, but I mean, like you know, when you look when there are plays that come through the New Vic or the Duke, then the, 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 those those lessons those tend to be a little bit more yeah, yeah. meaty. Like you, yeah, get, you yeah. can get into the themes, you can get into the characters' choices, you can get into how that ties into our own choices, and change starting to change minds about how we look at things, yeah. which is where it really gets powerful. Yeah, I mean the the work that we did around the. Malcolm X show last year, the post show, we actually brought in video of Malcolm X speeches um, and watched that. And like after they saw that video, like there was nothing else but to talk about that and like what's happening today. Right. And and have we come any further? We created, we created an amazing, amazing work to happen. And most, almost all of the workshops were talking and um, it it was powerful. And these were high school and middle school kids and uh, mostly high school and like eighth graders but they I mean they had a lot to say and they loved the piece they didn't understand why they didn't they felt like they they weren't being taught Malcolm X in school and why is that and so they huh. went into that realm and then Black Lives Matter and like wow great and it was real it was faux real so diversionary theater is like your main main gig here um I am still pretty freelance. Uh, I teach for a number. I t- think I teach for five different not-for-profit organizations here in San Diego. Uh, so, just to name a few: Diversionary Theater, La Jolla Playhouse, Arts for Learning San Diego, Fern Street Circus, and uh, I have popped into the Globe uh, here and there, but I'm, I don't think I'm currently on their roster. But uh, so I still kind of cobble together a teaching artist life in the true sense of the word. Uh, and then I also do the clown gig that I right. told you about up in the hospital, right. and I perform. So right now I'm in a show. So um, so it's it's always kind of finding the right balance. You know, it's like when I need to take on a gig, there there's a lot of work here, and I feel like um, I can provide s- some things that 
you know, I have a, like we talked about, I have a pretty wide background in the arts, so I can I can usually fit into whether it's a dance teacher or a voice teacher or devise a show or a circus program. Like I have a lot, I feel like I can plug into a lot of different things. So if um, <laughs> Popo is out, Popo, our I'm wind barrier was making them think we had a, 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 a the bar going on here. A wet bar. Uh, so so yeah, so I still kind of piece it together, and I, and I still do sometimes build sets, and mm-hmm. and uh, and I also um, I do a couple other things on the side, you know, here and there, gigging out and so, teaching things. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question. That does. That does. I was just just trying to round out your your um, where you are currently in terms of your career, yeah. and I'm just curious, like you've now just in your journey. So you grew up in Connecticut, went to school in Connecticut. Did some work in Maine, then moved out to San Francisco, then come to New York and doing some and being there for a good amount of time. While you were there, you didn't talk about your MFA program. That's true. Yeah. So I, I kind of after I've been spending, I spent about ten years as a mime. I also joined a company in New York called the American Mime Theater and spent uh, a couple of years as a company member there and just you know studying performing and stuff. And then. After that, I actually booked a job on a TV show. I booked a job as an acting coach on the Electric Company uh, on PBS uh, under the Sesame Workshop umbrella. And I also worked at Sesame Street for a while too. And that, that's a whole other story. Um, and I hear Spencer's on. Uh, Spencer's on the show Spencer's now. Spencer's on the Good show. Good for him. Hey, Spencer. Spencer Tony Lott. You're rocking that Sesame Street. Uh-huh. We'll have to talk about that tomorrow. Oh my god. Um, so I got into TV, and uh, I ended up being an acting coach uh, on the set, and uh, we shot about 40 episodes over nine months and uh, it was a really wild experience but I realized through that experience that I had really gotten away from performing and using my voice to tell stories in an artistic way and that was the impetus for me to go back to school and I had two kind of major choices of what I wanted to study I was really feeling like developing a program with special needs and the arts I almost because I had a lot of experience teaching special needs at the New Vic and I really liked it uh, so I, I was going to develop a program for some sort of special ed teacher of the arts through NYU or go back and get a master's in acting. And I realized that I still had goals as a performer and I, and I did, eventually decided to go get an MFA in acting from Brooklyn College because I, want, I figured that the teaching was already firing, that if I could just get an even stronger base of text-based acting and voice-based acting, that it would really help to round out my full artistic package a little bit better. And, uh, and that's what I ended up doing. So I got my master's in 2012. And do you feel like that um, the work that you experienced and studied in that program, that was at Brooklyn College, right? It was Brooklyn College. Um, do you feel like you're utilizing those skills Absolutely. now? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like when I spoke a little bit about that honesty missing from my work, yeah. that was a big part of it for me in grad school. I, um, I don't know. There's something shifted for me, and I really... I don't know. I, I was able to let some things go and, and pick up some other some other good stuff, and I, and I feel like now I have a really, really strong kind of artistic, honest core about what I'm yeah. doing, and, it, and it's it's the same but different. Like I just not that I wasn't there before, but it's much more consistent and much more connected to other people than than what I had been doing before. How does that feel? Like it's it's amazing. I I feel like I really I not missed out, but I feel like I kind of went through the motions. You know, I kind of went through that track of went right to college and studied performing, and then got out and didn't have a clue of what that meant to be a working actor, right? So then you sort of, and then the teaching was there. So I kind of floundered for a little bit, and I think a lot of young artists go through this because the programs don't really 
really prepare you to, to jump into this to this business as a working actor. Yeah. You know, they, they there's a lot of ways into this business, and you know, a, and a lot of actors over the years will fall away from it because you have you want to maybe have a family, or you maybe want to not look at your bank account and only have twenty five dollars in it, right. or, or have some real insurance or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And as you get older, those things start to shift. But but now that it's there, like. It's, it's kind of like when you have a breakthrough with a kid in an acting class yeah. where they finally do something and you're like, yes, that, what you just did, whenever you step on a stage, it can never be less than that now. Now that you can do it and you know you can do it, whatever that means, mm. we're going to build upon that. It's kind of like that. It's, it just feels like there's just a new kind of flavor in the, in the seasoning that wasn't there before that just makes it better. Sweet. Well, I, you said this earlier, I got a chance to see your current project, you and the current project and you play three different characters um, two that are in a dream world two different uh -huh. dream worlds and um, this the sort of confidant or friend uh, of the of one of the main characters who's struggling you know mm -hmm. emotionally and uh, in, the, in their um, marriage and so you know and they're very distinct very distinct three very distinct characters so do you feel like with each one of those characters you found the honesty I think the way that the, the way that those characters fit into the larger framework of the show is it, like I feel like that the honesty is kind of the show as a, it's kind of an ensemble piece yeah so finding finding that as as a group was important and right. finding out how we were handling that and how each of us were bringing our honest selves to that yes absolutely um, so, so sure, yeah. I mean, those those roles are unique in that they don't really have their own arcs per yeah. se. So that was challenging for me. You know, you spend so much time working on like you know acting and like what a character wants and how you're yeah. getting it and how it's affecting the other person and and all that. And these these roles were a little bit more of the, the poking and prodding for other characters. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it was a little bit of you know my responsibility was a little less than in, in the dramatic sense of the show, but also it provided the dramatic spark and the and the nuts and bolts for other characters to to really go through their journey so it was kind of it was a unique so it was project a, it in was that a way. sort of tool like a service yeah so it's like i, I was like a, a little cog in a bigger machine yeah. this way but the cogs were all over you know there were three of them right that's great so so in terms of career making career tracking etc around being a teaching artist do you find any um differences between East Coast, West Coast, get the wars going. No, <laughs> but like, what, what are I the do, so I so do. two two? I think it's a two part question actually. Sure. So the first part is, what are the similarities? Okay. And the second part is, what are the differences? Great. So similarities are that there there are some there's a lot of programs out here, mm. um, and in a way that you know doesn't like I'm just going to compare San Diego to New York because those yeah. are the two markets that I most yeah. recently have worked in. Um, but I also had I also spent some time in Pittsburgh. Right. And, um, and that's a separate conversation. But I think the, the similarities is that there there is a clear need for this this sort of programming to be happening. Yeah. The communities out here recognize that there is value to it, that there is outcomes to it, that that it's something that that is helping the greater good. That is a similarity. Um, I feel like there are more differences, and, and, and I mean, San Diego is, is such a different place culturally, culturally than New York in so many ways that they're hard to compare. Okay. Um, but what I will say that there is a lot of good work being done here. It just doesn't. 
it doesn't feel the same because a lot of my everything I've done here in San Diego aside from that senior program I mentioned with Blake mm -hmm. has been on my own so the team teaching model that the new Vic and some other organizations use back east hasn't hit here yet yeah. and it's mostly because of financial constraints right so that hopefully can change soon because when I found the new Vic the team teaching model was new to me so I and I would and I had to kind of figure that out and learn it and once I was once I figured out what was possible with that just like I was saying it's like we'll never less than that like if we have the means to put two teaching artists in a classroom you, you know, especially if they're coming from different artistic backgrounds or different cultural backgrounds, like, yes, of course, plus the students get to see a live collaboration happening in front of them by two adults, which they're not going to get unless their classroom is taught by two adults. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's huge. And yeah. it goes back to, to watching people problem solve and work together and collaborate. So it's a, it's a model. So that we're missing that in San Diego. The, the, the price points and the pay is also much less than I feel the market value. I think there was a stat that came out recently that the national average for teaching artists is what, about $75 an hour, I think it was just published. Mm -hmm. And here, the uh, the best paid gig is 50 bucks an hour, and that would be the old globe. That's the highest paid teaching artist gig in town. So we're below the national standard as far as what a teaching artist is making, and that doesn't even really cover your planning or travel. So we've got some work to do to kind of balance that out a little bit because there's plenty of philanthropic money in San Diego. Yeah. It just hasn't filtered its way to where it needs to be yet. So that's a huge difference. So I feel like I am in some ways hustling more than I did in New York just to make up a living wage when I'm teaching. Right. And that's hard. That's that's tiring. As I get older, like I'm not sure how much longer I can sustain that here in San Diego. Right. I, I mean, back in New York with the, with the rates being a little bit better or another market that's, that is paying closer to that national average, it's a different setup. So, you know, I, for any teaching artist out there who's listening, it's you have to kind of know your market, right, and know how much you can and how much you can realistically expect to make from the hours of the day and, and, and still have enough time to plan and live your life and do whatever you need to do. I mean, that's a tricky balance. It takes years to figure out because there's always changing. And most of the teaching artist gigs, unless you get in with a program like New Vic, who's going to hire you for a season, is much more project-based. All, right. all the programs I'm working here are, hey, I need a teaching artist to teach this 12-session thing. Right. Who's got it? I need somebody for this arts integration lesson that's over this next month. It's this one particular show, and you know what I mean? So it's like right. much more project-based out here than it is to get into an ensemble and say, we'll use you for everything. So that's different. Thank you for listening to Episode 9, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. Skylar Sullivan, The Choice of No Bounds. Join us next time for Act 2. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.